Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. You know, relationships are huge. I think you could arguably say that relationships are the most important part of life. In fact, I would say that the quality of our relationships directly impacts the quality of our life. Good relationships, good life. Bad relationships, strained relationship, tense relationships, strained, tense, bad life. The quality of your relationships affect the quality of your life. And so it's good for us to sit and ask ourselves, okay, what is it that makes for better relationships? You could come up with a lot of things, but one of the things that should be on everybody's short list is forgiveness. You have to learn to forgive. Here's the problem with relationships. There's sinners involved in relationships. You're a sinner. The person you're trying to have a relationship with is a sinner. I don't care whether it's your spouse. I don't care whether it's your parents. I don't care whether it's your your, uh, uh, child. Everybody involved in that relationship is a sinner. And so consequently, you have got to learn to forgive. I love the, the quote that Chuck Swindoll said. Every time an offense occurs forgive every single time. If you do not, you will never be happily married. If you do not, you will never find a church you'll be content with. If you do not, you will never find a group you can get along with. You'll never be able to work for any company. You're just going to spend your entire existence looking for and expecting perfection, but never finding it. That's not a happy way to live, nor is it realistic. You've got to learn to forgive. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. So I've asked you to turn to Matthew 18. We're going to talk today about forgiveness. Now, if you remember what's going on, we've been working our way through Matthew. And essentially, we're in that part of the story where Jesus is preparing the disciples to be the leaders of the church. He's made his offer of the kingdom. It's apparent that they're going to reject him. And so what Jesus is doing is preparing the disciples to become the apostles, the leaders of the church. And so it's kind of interesting from Matthew 14 to about Matthew 20, those six chapters there are a great picture of what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. He's telling the disciples, here's what you need to be like. Here's the truths you need to know. This is the, these are the actions you need to embrace if you really and truly are going to succeed as leaders of the church, if you're really and truly going to be a, a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. So I just dropped that. I'll pick it back up. So what are we doing? We're looking at those things that Matthew included that were part of that curriculum. Now, interestingly, last week, 
we talked about, you know, what do you do when someone sins? Well, when someone sins, particularly if they sin against you, you go to them. Well, you know, here's what happens. Sometimes you go to them, the person owns the problem, the person owns the sin, they get right, and you stay wrong. You know, because it bugs you that they sinned against you, they failed you, they hurt you, they disappointed you. And a month later, they're good, you're still bad. I even had to talk to them. They didn't, they didn't even confess on their own. They didn't even come forward. And, and that forgiveness is hard to bring about. Well, I think it's because that is so much a part of what that passage last week was. I think that's why Matthew, is, as he's putting together this curriculum of what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, that's why the next thing he brought up was how Peter asked Jesus about forgiveness. Look at Matthew 18, verse 21. Here's what's going on. Jesus basically has this discussion with Peter, and he's going to tell a parable that kind of illustrates the truth. And Jesus' point is, here's what kingdom-like forgiving looks like. You always forgive. Look at it, verse 21. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother? Up to seven times? Uh, You know, why seven? We don't really know, to be honest. Some people like to say, well, the rabbis always said you had to forgive three times, so maybe Peter's taking the three, he's doubling it, adding an extra one, and, you know, he's just saying, hey, Jesus, I'm a forgiving machine. I don't know. Maybe that's what it was. But Peter thought seven times was pretty generous. You know, this, this, this person offends you seven times. Do I still forgive him? Well, look what Jesus said. You know the answer. You're probably familiar with this whole discussion. Verse 22, then Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven And see that expression, 70 times 7? That's an idiom for trillions of times, unlimited times. He's not saying 490 times. I mean, if it was 490 times, Vicky would have quit forgiving me about, you know, 30 years ago, okay? I mean, you're supposed to forgive all the time. You always forgive. That's what Jesus is saying. Kingdom-like forgiving... The forgiveness that that we ought to express and and exercise now is like what it's supposed to be like when, when the kingdom comes. And you always forgive. Always forgive. That's why Swindoll wrote what that quote that I put before you, always forgive every time. Well, look at this, verse 23. For this reason, so what he's going to do is he's going to go on and tell a parable, and you're familiar with the parable probably. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle his accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 
10,000 talents. Now, you know, you can sit and do the crunch the numbers, but I mean, it's like this guy came to, to the king and he owed, in today's dollars, millions of dollars. Uh, you know, just an unimaginable amount that he owed the king. 10,000 talents. I mean, nobody, particularly in that day and age, you know, now with our internet billionaires, you know, if you came out with the next software, you probably could handle that debt six months from now. But that's not what Jesus was thinking. Jesus was saying, here's a guy that comes to the king, and there is absolutely no way in high heaven he could ever come up with that kind of money. He owes him $10,000. Verse 25, but since he did not have any means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had and repayments be made. And the slave therefore fell down, prostrating himself before the king, saying, have patience with me. Get real. You're never going to be able to earn that much money. Have patience with me and I'll repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. He forgave him the debt. See the word forgave? We'll talk about what that word really means here in just a moment. But that slave went out. After he's had this incredible forgiveness extended to him, he owed this, this, this king, this this person in authority owed him millions of dollars, could not pay. The guy is ready to sell him, sell his wife, sell his kids, sell all his possessions to get back what he possibly could get back. And this guy falls down, begs for mercy, and amazingly, he gets it. He gets that grace. So the second half of the story is the guy leaves... And as Jesus is telling the story, he said, the guy realizes, hey, I don't, someone owes me some money. Verse 28, but that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. A denarii is how much you would make in a day. So, you know, a hundred denarii, it's like three and a half months worth of salary, maybe. You know, a lot of money, but, you know, still pretty payable, pretty doable. I could figure out how to come up with that with some creative thinking or if the guy would just let me pay it out in payments or whatever we could probably take care of that in a year two years whatever he comes and he he grabs him he says pay back what you owe me verse 29 so his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him saying have patience with me and i will repay you he was unwilling however the guy was unwilling however but went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what it was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved. So it's like the people that saw the situation, hey, this guy was forgiven millions and millions and millions of dollars, but this guy is exercising the full extent of the law towards someone that just owed him, you know, maybe three months, three and a half months worth of salary. Throws him in jail. And the people observing the situation are like, we have got to tell the king. 
So they tell the king, they're deeply grieved. And they reported it to their Lord. All that had happened. Verse 32, then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you absolutely wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. Should, I, should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? Well, the answer is absolutely. Those who are forgiven ought to forgive. And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to be tortured until he should pay all that was owed. And then Jesus says, that so shall my heavenly Father also do to you, each of you who does not forgive his brother from your heart. That's what kingdom-like forgiving looks like, as Jesus illustrated it through this. And we're not going to take a lot of time to, to walk through the details of this paragraph, of this parable, but, but I do want to just point out, because this is a great par- parable, I want to just point out some truths here that are, that are there. First one is this, God lavishly forgives us. That was why Jesus told the, 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 the parable, and it's like, here's a guy that owns 10,000 talents, which is the equivalent of millions and millions of dollars. Some debt that nobody could have dreamt of being able to come up with the money to pay. That's how God has forgiven you. That's how God has forgiven me. And the truth of the matter is, we don't recognize that, do we? Because we can always find someone that, that sinned more than us. We can always find someone that owed, you know, 11,000 talents. We can always find someone that did something worse. There are times in our life, and I think all of us have them, there are times in our life when, when we sin, we recognize it, and boy, we really recognize just how sinful and deceitful and horrible we are. And, and what, what's kind of common, I think, among all of us is we feel that, we feel it deeply, we're broken, we're contrite. But we have this incredible ability to rebuild ourselves. And so it might be even a couple days later, it might be a couple weeks later, maybe a couple months later, maybe a couple years later. But eventually we get enough perspective and we look back on it and it's like, yeah, I slipped up. I mean, in the moment, we were devastated. Our, we, we realized we had just torn down our own house. But unfortunately, because we're sinners who have flawed perspective, we look back on it and we have a tendency to minimize our errors, our sin, our failings. That's just, that's just true. I mean, I, I look at ways that I have sinned and in the moment when I was caught and I really came to repentance, I mean, I felt devastated. But now I look back on it, it's like, eh. You know, a little slip. You know, it was a banana pill, and I just got up and kept going. I mean, that's what we do. But the truth of the matter is, every person in this room 
who has trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior, who, who has that forgiveness that comes through, through the relationship with Jesus Christ, the truth of the matter is we have been lavishly forgiven by God. That's one of the things Jesus was illustrating in this parable. And, and because of that, it is absolutely absurd when the forgiven won't forgive. I mean, one of the verses we're going to look at in a little bit here is Ephesians 4.32. We all should know that. As you've been forgiven, forgive. Because I have been forgiven 10,000 talents, I should forgive this person in my life that maybe owes me a couple bucks. I mean, there is no one who has come anywhere near close to offending me like I have offended God. There's no one in your life that has come anywhere near close to offending you like you have forgiven God. And Jesus' point in this parable is it is absolutely absurd when a disciple of Jesus Christ, someone who is committed to fully following Jesus Christ, who's been forgiven, doesn't forgive. One of the marks of a disciple of Christ is that we forgive. That's what Jesus was saying. You always forgive. And then here's one more. And I'm just picking out three of the big truths that this parable teaches. There is a frightful fate awaiting the unforgiving. I think that's what Jesus was saying. And I I think we'll see that. I mean, believers who fail to forgive. I mean, it leads to a lot of grief. It leads to a lot of pain. It, 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 it is a frightful thing to get caught in that bitterness. So all of that to say what this passage is telling us was telling Peter, James, John, and the other disciples is that fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ always forgive. Now, I seriously doubt there's anyone here that would disagree with it. And you're saying, that's all you got? Uh, You know, I knew that. I may not have been able to preach it off the top of my head, but I really haven't learned anything that I didn't know before I walked in this room. I know I'm supposed to forgive. The problem is not, I didn't know that. Here's the problem. How do you do it? Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the problem? That's the problem I have. I know I'm supposed to forgive people. My problem is, how do I do it? And I'm not saying, how do I do it? I mean, in terms of the mechanics, I'm I'm saying, How does Richard Hornock, this regenerated child of God, this person who's seeking to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, how do I let that go? Because you know what happens? You know what happens that when when you've been sinned against, when you've been offended, when you've been hurt, when someone has sinned against you and that there is need for giving forgiveness, it is like this incredibly deep bruise. You know, Vicky and I go to the gym every once in a while to exercise, and uh, uh, a couple weeks ago, 
trying to get off the exercise bike in a hurry because we were doing all this stuff and it was timed. I got off the exercise bike and I smacked my thigh really hard and it, and it turned nice and purple. And for about 10 days, if I put my hand down there and pushed in, it's just like, Argh! it's like a deep bruise. Here's the problem. When someone sins against you, it doesn't last just 10 days. Sometimes it lasts 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Maybe the purple goes away. Maybe you move on. Maybe you get smart enough to not go to the gym anymore. You know, but, but if, you, if, a, if, a, if a, a little touch comes and touches you just right and puts that little bitty finger, just a little bit of pressure, all of a sudden, it's there. And you remember it. And, and, and here's the problem. You've forgiven that person dozens of times, and now all of a sudden, 13 years later, I mean, your blood pressure is going up because you're remembering how much it hurt when that person said that, did that, stole that, insinuated that. How do you forgive? Uh, this could be a series of messages, but I'm going to do my best in the next 15 or 20 minutes here to kind of package it. And I just want to share with you what I have learned. What, this, is, this is what has helped me the most. I'm not going to give you everything that I know about forgiveness, but I'm going to give you what I think is the most important part, at least for me. And hopefully, maybe God the Holy Spirit will use it to help you. Because I, I honestly think there isn't a person here that doesn't realize I'm supposed to forgive. Maybe, maybe it's been a while since you've, you've thought about it and been reminded of it. But there isn't a person here that doesn't know I'm forgiven by Jesus Christ. And that means I need to forgive that person. You know, with all the things that go along with forgiveness and maybe setting up boundaries and guardrails in the future, but still forgiving. How do you do it? This is what has helped me the most. It's actually answering this question, and that is, what is forgiveness? So I think we've all got lots of ideas about what forgiveness is. You can go get on Amazon and look through all the books, and you can find, you know, probably several thousand books written on this concept of forgiveness, whether they're from a Christian biblical standpoint or not. But what is forgiveness? I, I, I find that the biblical definition of forgiveness is what has helped me the most. Let me, let me just kind of get a little technical here. In the New Testament... There's basically two words, two Greek words that are used and often translated forgiveness. One is aphiomi, and the other is karazomi. Excuse me, karazomi. I'm going to delete this from the podcast so people will just say, wow, he pronounced it just right there. You got it. Aphiomi. You know what aphiomi is? It is to set aside to disregard, to put away. It is to cancel a debt. This story that we just read, when Peter asked Jesus, how often do I need to forgive? 
he was using the word aphiomi. When the, Jesus is telling the parable that the king forgave, he used the term aphiomi. He canceled the debt. The other passage, the other word, means to grant grace, to forgive. It is to give grace. We're going to see it in a minute, but that's the word that is used in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Grant grace. And when you put those two together, here's what I think the Bible would say is forgiveness. It is extending grace and therefore setting aside, disregarding, canceling a debt. It it, it is extending grace, and the extension of that grace is that I'm going to set aside that debt you owe me. I'm going to disregard the fact that you owe me. I'm going to cancel that debt that you owe me. Here's something that I think uh, you might need to think about, uh, but, but you'll come to it. The truth of the matter is, when there is an offense, when there is something that happened in your life that created that deep bruise, in a way, it was a robbery. Something was stolen from you. Someone stole something from you. I mean, it, it could be a first spouse. And you maybe you grew up with those, those dreams of, you know, I'm going to get married and the wife or the spouse of my youth is going to become this person that was going to have this wonderful retirement together. And I mean, two or three years into that marriage, it just crumbled. And you look back on it and it's like, This person I was married to was just an absolute jerk. This person that I was married to was just wrong and sinful. And and in a way, they stole from you that dream, that vision of being happily ever after. And maybe you've since married, and and this time you married, and, and it's great. But even 30 years into that marriage, I've met people that are still angry at that first spouse. I mean, why didn't he do this? Why didn't she do this? And it's not that they're wishing that thing had worked out. They're just saying, why didn't, why didn't he realize, hey, we, nice guy, wrong guy, though. Why, did we, why, why didn't someone come and say, you guys have no business getting married. Wait till God really brings the person. And it's like this deep bruise, and it doesn't come out that often, but every once in a while, even 30 years into a second marriage, someone touches that bruise, and you are just so angry at that person you married when you were 21 that bolted when you were 23. You know, there's people, quite frankly, they've been robbed because that marriage maybe failed, and the the, the, the dream of getting to grow up in the same house with your children all the time isn't happening. Because every other week they have to go over there. 
Every other holiday, they have to go over there. And that person robs you of the joy, the dream, getting to live in the same house with your kids all the time. You know, there's people here, I mean, they, they, you know, they're like Richard Hornock. They wanted to get a job and stay in that job till they were a million years old and then retire. Never switch jobs. But seven years into working for that corporation, you got a new manager. And that manager was just a jerk. That manager was unfair. That manager was interested in taking care of his employees, her employees, just interested in their own career. And that, that dream of getting to work in the same place, in the same time, in the same city, so that I could have, buy one house and just stay there forever, it was gone. Because you couldn't stay in that position anymore. Maybe they even let you go. Maybe he let you go. Maybe she let you go. And now, here you are 20 years later, and you're sitting and thinking, you know, I'd love to stay working in that job. I mean, I know it wasn't going to be where I was going to make the most money, but I loved that job. I went to college so I could have that job. And that jerk screwed it up. And it's like this little bruise, and every once in a while, it gets touched. And you still feel it, and you've got to forgive. Why? Because that person robbed you of something. I, I guarantee you, if you will give that some thought, almost every offense you've ever had, whether it came from your parents, whether it came from your spouse, whether it came from one of your children, whether it came from a coworker, whether it came from just a neighborhood friend or a church friend, in a way, you can almost reduce it down to a robbery. That person stole something from you. And what has to happen? You got to forgive them of that debt. You got to set that debt aside. You got to cancel that debt. Because here, here's the truth of the matter they could never pay it back. Nobody could roll the clock back and say, you know what? We're not right for each other. Let's not get married because it ain't going to work. I mean, we're going to be married for two and a half years. We're going to tear each other up and create all kinds of bruises. Let's just walk away. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't, you can't get back those weeks without your children. You can't go back and say, oh, okay, I'm going to pretend I just graduated from college and I'm going to go to work for, for this place and I'm going to be there for the next 45 years. You can't roll it back. That, it is a robbery, and here's the deal. That person could never pay it back. They don't owe you 10,000 talents. They owe you eternity in a way. You can't get it back. It is a debt that cannot be repaid. That person could come in front of you and do just like the people in these, this parable. They could get down on their hands and knees and weep and beg and all that stuff. And there's their apology. But you know what? That could all happen and you'd still have that deep bruise. Because you've still been robbed. Even if they paid it all back to you with interest, generous interest. It's like, yeah, but they did that to me. Fifteen years ago, they did that to me. And yeah, and they've given me all this money back. 
But they did that to me because what, I, what could I have done with that money had I had it at the time? See what I'm saying? It always boils down to a debt, a robbery. And what God is calling me to do, what God is calling you to do, is to cancel it. And it's not that person who offended you, whether they were your parent or their spouse, your spouse or children or an employer or just a friend, that person can do nothing to fix this problem. Oh, it helps tremendously if they confess and they apologize and they seek to make as much restitution as they possibly can. That helps. But you know what? Even if they do that, you still have to forgive. I still have to forgive. And, you know, I can tell when I need to forgive someone. You know why? They're the people I have arguments with in my head. And I always win. That sucker always loses. And I, you know, when I start doing that, you know, and sometimes it used to be we'd do these driving trips and, you know, we're in the car for a million miles and the kids would look at me and I'm talking to myself. And then they kind of caught on and they'd be like, who are you talking to? Who are you, who are you straightening out now, you know? <laughs> and the answer really and truly was someone that I am still struggling to forgive. You got to forgive. You, you have to set it aside. Two verses, two verses that I think are worth knowing. Ephesians 4.32, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's that word, to grant grace. Translate it this way, grant grace as grace has been granted to you. You just got to set it aside. You got to cancel that debt. You got to recognize there's nothing that person could do to make amends, to give you back that time, to give you back those emotions, to, to cancel that stress and strain that you felt over that broken relationship, over that lost job, over that, 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 that uh, hindrance to what seemed to be the fulfillment of your dream. You've got to set it aside. You've got to cancel it. And you do that by granting the grace that you've been granted. You know, we don't have time to, to do it, but if we went to the book of Romans, we'd find the Apostle Paul who wrote this passage in the book of Romans, he talks about how we have been given grace. In God's grace, we have been justified, declared righteous. Is that because we were perfect, because we were righteous? No, we were sinners. But God, in his grace, declared us righteous. We've been justified. 
And I think there, there's something in that, that, that this concept of, of granting grace, of how God granted the grace. God didn't just grant me grace. He didn't just grant you grace. He declared me righteous. He, he declared me off the hook, innocent. Uh, you know, it, when I, I think about those that have offended me, I need to sit and declare them out of debt. Declared righteous. They, they don't owe me anything. Because it all, in truth, it's all taken care of at Calvary. Christ died for those sins. And he is calling me to grant grace like I've been granted grace. You know, here's another passage, and I wish we had more time to, to go look at it, but Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 through 17. And there he talks about Esau. Remember who Esau was? He's the brother of Jacob. You know, we always think of Esau as being this really, really bad person. And he was. But you know what? The writer of Hebrews basically makes it out, and I think he's accurate on this. Surely he's accurate because the Holy Spirit inspired him. I'm the one that's smart enough to agree with him. You know what Esau's real problem was? He wouldn't forgive. Had he been offended? Absolutely. His brother stole his birthright. Had he been offended? Sure he did. Dad and mom played favorites. Mom liked Jacob. Dad liked Esau. I mean, that, that messed him up royal. But as an adult, what was Esau supposed to do? He needed to forgive these people in his life, his mom, his dad, his brother. But he never forgave. And the passage refers this thing about don't, don't come up short of the grace of God. I think that's code for don't, don't be like Esau and fail to grant the grace. Because Esau never did. And you know what happened with Esau? It's the same thing that can happen with you when you don't forgive. It's the same thing that can happen with me when I don't forgive. It said that Esau turned into an immoral and vile, bitter person. The reason we think Esau was so bad is because he did turn bad and got worse and worse and worse. But what was it that started? He had an unforgiving spirit. You know what? God is calling you, he's calling me to forgive. And you're probably saying, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure who it is I need to forgive. Maybe I don't need to forgive anyone. That's great. But maybe there is someone. Let me, let, me just, let me just go back to my bruise analogy. Are there things in your life that when they get touched, all of a sudden you feel all that stuff? You can, you, you can feel your heart start to beat a little faster. Maybe that you breathe a little harder. 
Maybe, maybe all of a sudden your muscles have constricted and, and, and it's like, I'm feeling it. And that, that's over an incident that was 27 years ago. That, that, those are kind of the signs that say, forgive again. Maybe, maybe you've never forgiven, or maybe you've forgiven 490 times plus, and God is saying, forgive again, forgive again, forgive again. You know, the bottom line to what we're talking about is you and I, it's that Swindoll quote. That's the so what. Every time an offense occurs, forgive. Cancel that debt. Recognize that that debt was paid with the blood of Jesus Christ. On the grace of God, cancel that debt. Set it aside and do that every single time. Have you done that? Some of, the, some of us maybe need to forgive our parents. Some of us maybe need to forgive a grandparent. Some of us need to forgive some of our children. Some of us need to forgive some coworker that slighted us, some employer that did us wrong. Those are debts. And God is saying, you got to grant that grace. Grant grace because there is a frightful result for not being a forgiving person. Does that mean everything goes back to normal? No, absolutely not. Banks are right. When someone defaults on a loan, don't lend that sucker another dime. But you still treat them with grace and kindness, no bitterness. You're careful. You're cautious. Maybe the relation changed and, and changes forever. But if you don't forgive, it's going to do to you what it did to Esau. And it will just be this slow acid that corrodes even the best of heart. Do you need to forgive? Jesus Christ told his disciples to forgive always. Let's pray. Just before we wrap up the service, I want you to bow your head and just close your eyes. I just want to give you just a small moment here, short moment. if there is someone you need to forgive again do it just just in your head cancel that debt grant them grace let them off the hook forgive them like God forgave you and declare them out of debt. Just like you're out of debt to God.
Father, I'm sure that in a group like ours, there are lots of different uh, needs here. I pray, Father, that those that perhaps um, still feel the robbery that came from their parents, I pray that today they would uh, forgive them. They'd grant them that grace. Those that feel it from a, a child, an adult child that took it all and never appreciated it and shook their fist back in the parent's face. Father, help us to forgive. Father, we do not want to be people that are bitter and angry. Father, we want to extract that root of bitterness that Esau failed to extract. And I pray, Father, that today uh, we'd be people that are cleansed from the slavery of a grudge. We'd, be, we'd find that freedom in you to really and truly love Lord, we need lots of wisdom because if the offense was great enough, uh, things probably do need to change. And uh, I pray, Father, you'd give us the appropriate uh, wisdom to know what that looks like. But I pray, Father, we would be people that would always forgive. For it's in Jesus' name, amen.